Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. What's going on? And if you're watching online, we're glad you're here. My name is Terry Castleman, and um, I have the privilege of serving as the Director of Men's Pastoral Care and Regeneration, and, which meets every Tuesday night here at 6.30. So uh, first of all, thank you. Kudos to whoever washed your cars last night and made it rain today. Yes. Thank you for that. So this morning, uh, so last week, David Marvin kicked off this series um, talking about we're calling it on brand. And here are the five values that we call on brand. These, these five values are the core values that are consistent or on brand with the values that Jesus modeled for his church. And so for the next five weeks, we're gonna tackle each one of these. And this morning, I have the privilege of kicking off the topic with authenticity. Now, here's a roadmap of where we're gonna go this morning. We're gonna define what authenticity is and then we're gonna talk about why it's so incredibly difficult to be authentic. Then we're gonna talk about the blessings of authenticity. And then finally, the cost of not living authentically. Now, sometimes it's best to define a word by looking at what the opposite of that word is. And so to do that, we have to go back in time to the Greek theater, because back in ancient Greece, there was elaborate stage productions that were put on, and in order to do that, they had to wear masks. Now, two of the more popular masks back then was the mask, mask that we would call the comedy mask and the mask, the tragedy mask. And so the idea being that when an actor was going to say something funny, he would put the mask up here in order to, for the audience to realize and laugh along with him. So I haven't tested these masks yet, so I think we're gonna do a little test here this morning, okay? So in just a moment, I'm gonna put this mask on and I'm gonna say something funny. And right after I say that, I expect your best fake laughter that you can give me in response to what I said. Are you ready? Okay, let's test this and see if it works. <clears throat> Horatio, I've just come from Mount Olympus. And the football gods have said this could be the year the Dallas Cowboys win the Super Bowl. Okay, that wasn't very nice. Okay, I like the Cowboys, but personally I think if we're Christians we should be cheering for the Saints. Okay. Which is my team. Okay, all right. Now, the opposite of that, of course, is tragedy. So if the actor was going to say something sad or somber, then, of course, right after the statement is made, I would expect to hear just terrible groans from the audience, right? So let's, let's see if this works. <clears throat> Cornelius, terrible news from Athens. Spectrum has dropped ESPN from its cable lineup, and we can't watch football this summer. That, that is tragic, okay? <laughs> if you have Spectrum. If you don't have Spectrum, you got, you got Hulu, you're okay. So, so here's, here's so here, why, do I, why do I do this? So the actors back then, the actors that wore the masks, the Greek word for that is hypokritas, 
which is all Greek to you, I understand that, but if we were to put that in English, the word is hypocrite. A hypocrite is someone who wears a mask. He's an actor, she's an actor. So the benefit of wearing a mask in a stage production is that you could wear several masks to play several different parts. Now, if we're talking about theater, that's fun. But if we're talking about church, that's a different thing. Because we can do the same thing at church, can't we? We can be putting on masks. And so let's say you come to church on a Sunday morning and on, when you walk in, it's a smiling face. But behind the mask, I'm drowning in debt and my child is on drugs. Or what if, what if you go to work and everything, you put the smiley face on at work, but behind the mask, I'm so disillusioned with working here, I wanna quit, but I can't because I need the money. Or what if you're in a youth group and you come and you're all laughing and smiles, but behind the mask, I'm addicted to porn and my parents are talking about divorce. Or what if you're single all smiles on the outside, but the fact is, I'm so lonely and I'm starting to grow bitter because God hasn't brought me someone yet. And here's a common one. In couples group, in your community group, all smiles on the outside, but behind the mask, we're not even sleeping in the same bedroom. And my husband put a hole in the wall three nights ago. You see, when we wear masks, we're actually doing the exact opposite of what we're supposed to be doing, of how we're supposed to be a living, living authentically. And so we want to define authenticity as the quality of being genuine or real. It's being actually and exactly what we claim to be. And so if we do that, we're going to be living authentically at City Bridge. We're gonna champion honesty. We're gonna champion transparency. We're gonna champion integrity that's in line with biblical teaching. Now, let's look at the Apostle John's verse here. The, these passages of scripture are so key. We're just gonna hang on these today all throughout this message. Look what he says in 1 John 1, 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, you know, a lot of people will read that verse seven, fellowship with one another, and they think that that means fellowship with other Christians, and it does. But that Greek word for one another can also refer to the two subjects at the beginning of that verse, and that is we and he. And so what the picture that John is painting here is that Christians live in the light where God is, and there's mutual fellowship between us and God. And when his light of truth illuminates sin in our life, 
We don't deny that sin. We confess that sin. And by confessing that sin, we stay in his light. If we don't confess that sin, then we start to slip into the darkness and we lose fellowship with him. So if walking in the light is being honest and transparent with God and with, with each other and defines authenticity, then why is it so incredibly difficult? Why is authenticity so difficult? One of our greatest human needs is to be fully known and fully loved. Out from behind the masks, I want you to know who I am and love me for who I am. Not some caricature of who I think you want me to be, but who I am, warts and all. And so what happens is we become afraid to really let people know who we are. What if you found out that when I lay in bed at night, I am overwhelmed with anxiety about my life? What if you found out that I spent the entire life intensely afraid of disappointing my parents? Would you like me if you knew that I struggled with food, porn, same-sex attraction, anger, would you even want to be my friend if you knew this, this, this thing was in my past? Is that you this morning? Are you afraid? Because we're all coming in here with things that, that we have, that we, we hide behind and we don't want to reveal. We can sit in a room full of people just like this and we can feel so incredibly alone because nobody knows who we really are. And I guarantee in an audience like this, you're not alone. There's other people who feel exactly like you do today. And all that it really takes is for someone to be brave and to step out into the light. So if we really wanna be known, our desire is to be known, then why is it so difficult? Why do we wrestle with authenticity? Because hiding and concealing is the most natural thing for us to do in the sinfulness of our flesh. You know, we just finished this great design, this sex by design series that David finished, and we went back to the book of Genesis, and we looked at what happened in the fall when Adam and Eve went from open and honest and completely unashamed in front of God to then after their sin, trying to hide themselves with fig leaves and hide in the garden from God. And so what do we do when we try to hide from God, when we try to hide from others? We step out into the dark. It's the same thing. And that light and that darkness that John talks about in that passage in John, light is always symbolic. It's an emblem of God. But darkness is often an emblem of sin and separation and chaos and ignorance and death. So... The beauty of it is that darkness, darkness cannot be overpowered. Darkness cannot overpower light. And when Jesus is in a room, darkness is overpowered. And so why is it then that we as Christ followers who have God as the Holy Spirit dwelling in us from the moment we place our faith in Christ, why do we still feel this gravitational pull 
to run from the light into the darkness? I get that question constantly on Tuesday nights when people ask me frustrated, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep falling into the darkness? And my response is the same as Paul's response in Romans chapter 7. This is the New Living Translation version of Romans 7, 18 through 20. Look what he says. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am really, I'm not really the one doing it. It is sin living in me that does it. Notice how Paul emphasizes that nothing good dwells in his flesh, but there is something good in him as there is in all of us. It's there's somebody good. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit living in us. And when Jesus left this earth, he told the disciples, it's good for me to go because I'm going to send the Spirit, the helper, and when he comes, He's going to convict you of sin, but he's also going to live in you as a light to keep you out of the darkness, to expose the darkness. He's a guide and a helper. And so that bitter fight that Paul describes between our flesh and God's spirit living in us is the reason that living in the light of authenticity is so incredibly difficult. It's a tug of war. And so when you think about a tug of war, the way to win a tug of war is to get a bunch of people on the same side pulling in the same direction for the same cause. The reason you lose a tug of war is because you don't have enough strength in that side. And the reason we're losing our tug, our tug of war to sin is because we're probably trying to do it by ourselves. Instead of using the body of Christ, helping each other, working together with each other to pull in the same direction. Even though living in the light of authenticity is difficult, there are rich, rich blessings when we do it. The first one is healing. Look what it says in James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Do you know why this, why confession it's the hardest part. It is, it's the confession part that keeps us from bringing sin into the light. The most difficult part about confession is the sound of confession. It's the sound that comes out right after you have confessed your sin. It's the sound of that anger from the person that you are confessing to, expressing their pain and disappointment. How could you? What have you done? I don't even want to look at you right now. All of those are rational, righteous responses because they are being, they're being hit with the sin that you're confessing, and we hate that. It's difficult. Even worse, even worse is the sound of the weeping, the weeping of the heart that you've broken from your betrayal or your anger or your selfishness. We don't want to hear that, but it's the sound of pain being expressed for the sin that we've committed. And that's hard. And the worst, worst of all is the sound of that little child with tear-filled eyes looking up at you and going, Daddy, 
why did you leave our family? Mommy, why did you do that to daddy? Daddy, why did you do that to mommy? Those, those the innocent face, that's the most difficult part of confession. And yet, when we try to avoid that, we're avoiding the pathway to health. Because the confession, that pain, that moment of confession, that's the hydrogen peroxide in the flesh wound that, that burns at first, but then that discomfort that you feel, it begins to root out the infection. And your confession is the beginning of that healing, of rooting out that sin so that you and the person that you sinned against can now begin to heal. The pain and the hurt that is expressed by the ones that you've sinned against is a necessary part of God's discipline of you. And God disciplines those he loves as beloved children. And so if you try to avoid that, you're, you're, you're avoiding the pathway that God is using to heal you. The reason you need to hear that, the consequences of your sin, is to make you think, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to hear that again. And we have to pass through that. And the other reason is that just, just a little bit, we may feel just some of the pain that Christ felt on the cross when he died for that sin. We get to experience that. When you confess your sins, you are agreeing with God that what you did was wrong and you're willing to accept whatever consequences come with it. And with that comes healing, just like this verse says. The second blessing of authenticity is mercy. Proverbs 28, 13 says this, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. To conceal a transgression is to cover up sin. It's not owning it, it's acting like it didn't happen. And so you won't prosper. You won't prosper in trying to cover, up, cover it up because the consequences are coming. They're coming. And you don't know how or when they're gonna show up but you're not going to prosper concealing a sin. It's just a matter of time. But confession and forsaking them brings mercy from God and often mercy from the ones that you have wronged. So the second blessing is mercy. The third blessing of authenticity is that it prevents a hardening of the heart. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. These are the blessings of authenticity, healing, mercy, and a soft heart. When we confess our sin, when God convicts us of sin, we are staying in the light we're staying in obedience, but when we don't, when we run from that, then we're starting to move into the darkness and that's where the hardness of heart begins. What happens? There's a cost. There's a cost for that. The cost of not being authentic, the cost of not confessing our sin, the cost of not living in the light, we find in Proverbs 28, 14, it says this. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So when we harden our hearts, we begin to live in the darkness, and in that darkness, 
is where the calamity comes. Calamity is always expensive and it comes at a great cost. But rather than just tell you the cost of living in the darkness, let me show you what that looks like. When the Spirit of God shines a laser beam into your heart and illuminates something that he wants you to bring to the surface, you're now at a crossroads. So you can, you can obey and you can bring that out into the light and you can confess it. And you'll stay in the light, you'll stay in fellowship with God and you'll continue to grow in your faith. But if you say no, I am not going to do that because of what it's going to cost me. What you've done in that moment, you've ordered an Uber and Calamity Jane is the driver. Okay, she's coming. She's coming to pick you up and Calamity is on its way. I know some of you don't know the reference. It's okay. <laughs> but when you say no to God, you make a deal with the devil. You're making a deal with the darkness. You're trying to conceal your sin and avoid the consequences of what you've done. And what does John say about that? If we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we lie and the truth is not in us. We don't practice the truth. So the first cost of living in the darkness, of not being authentic, is that true fellowship with God is broken. You see, when you say no to God, you bury some secrets deep in a closet somewhere. And those secrets are secrets that you have no intention of ever bringing out. And what happens over time is that your heart grows so hard because you're walking in disobedience. Well, what, is a, what does a hard heart look like? You know what it looks like? It kind of looks like a rock. And the reason this rock, the reason this heart is so hard is that there's sin locked in there that you won't confess. So let's say <clears throat> that business trip that you took years ago where you had too much to drink and you were inappropriate with that coworker, and it was only a one-time thing, but there's no way you're ever going to confess that. That one's going to my grave. Or there's another one in here. Oh yeah. This is the money and the equipment that you stole from your company that they never suspected you. So you think you got away with it. So definitely not gonna confess that. That one's going to my grave. Oh, wait a minute. There's another one in here. This heart is so hard because, oh yeah, there was that proficiency exam that you cheated on where you got that big raise. And if you confess that, you'd probably lose your job. So I'd rather keep my job than have a, a close relationship with Christ. So that one's going in the grave. And then this one. I hear a lot about this one Tuesday nights. This is that secret porn addiction that has haunted you your entire marriage. And it's gotten so bad that it's affecting your sleep and it's affecting your job. But there's no way that you're ever going to bring it to the surface because of the pain that it would cause. That one, I'm taking to my grave. 
Maybe we should call these gravestones because they mark the place where your spiritual life has died. Your spiritual life dies here because you're willfully now turning your heart from God and choosing to live in the darkness instead of bringing sin to the light. Benjamin Franklin once said, yes, Benjamin Franklin. He said, many people die at 25, but you don't bury them until 75. Because of things that we've done that have killed our spiritual lives early in our life and we just bury them and we never grow because we've never dealing with the sin. I can tell you the immense pain of walking in the darkness because it happened 17 years ago to me. And of all places, it was the pulpit of a church right across the street from where Watermark was meeting in Lake Highlands High School Auditorium. On a Sunday morning, <clears throat> I stood up and I read a letter to the stunned faces of the congregation that started like this. Dear church family, I wanted to inform you that I'm stepping down as the associate pastor effective today, October 15th, 2016, for personal and family reasons. I deeply regret that over the last several months, I have allowed the stress of this job to cloud my judgment in regards to maintaining proper emotional boundaries with a female staff member. And while I am thankful that these boundaries were emotional and not physical, the fact remains that boundaries were violated and they have taken a heavy emotional toll on the parties involved. The elders feel that a break from full-time ministry is the healthiest thing that I can do to restore these relationships to spiritual and emotional health, and I completely agree with their decision. We greatly appreciate the many friends who have shared this journey with us, and we look forward to great days ahead. But the days that followed were not great. And those words that I wrote were not true because in the three months leading up to that statement, I had lied to myself, I had lied to my wife, I had lied to our children, the ministry staff, the men that I was entrusted to lead. And now I was standing up in a church pulpit and I was lying to the entire congregation because the truth was that just three weeks before that letter was written, a clear physical boundary had been violated and we were guilty of adultery. And I stood up there and all I could think about was, I'm taking that one to my grave. All I could think about was how to manage this so that nobody would ever find out. I had friends in spiritual circles that could have helped me, but I kept silent and my struggles stayed in the shadows. And when you break honest fellowship with God, when you start ignoring the Holy Spirit and that tug of war starts to pull, when you start ignoring God, that tug of war into the darkness is pretty fast. And then you experience the second cost of not being authentic, an inability to wrestle against sin. Because in the days after I lied about that and kept that, when I was only 50% true, which was actually a lie, then all of my energy went into keeping it secret. So when you spend more time and money and effort each day to cover up sin and prevent the whole truth from coming out, you're not, what are you, you're not gonna fight against sin. You're creating more sin. You have a complete inability when you're trying to cover things up. You're running to the sin. 
And in just three months of silence and rebellion, my heart became so corrupt and I as a pastor became the instigator in eventually breaking up her marriage and my marriage. And so then with true fellowship broken and my inability to fight against sin, the third cost of walking in darkness just came sweeping in and that is that the Bible became dead to me. The Bible that I had studied intensely at Dallas Theological Seminary for six years just became dead to me. The darkness that I had been hiding in was making me blind to the truth of God's word. Here's an exercise for you. Take a Bible into a pitch black room and open it up and tell me what it says. Because when you're walking in darkness, that might as well be the case, right? You're not going to see anything from the Word of God when you're walking in sin. And the truth is, the truth is not in us because we have no appetite for the truth. So now my spiritual life is in complete death dive. I'm cut off from all of the resources that give it life. And so two years after my resignation, a credit card bill sneaks through my defenses and unravels the whole thing of an ongoing affair two years after the resignation. Her marriage ended in 2008, mine a year later, and then four months after my divorce, we married each other and became a blended family with seven children, ages 24, 20, 16, 13, 10, and two seven-year-olds. And one of our exes had also remarried a month later, creating a blended family hurricane. The first Christmas with my family, two months after that, was a brutal taste of reality. So when I walked in the door, the atmosphere became awkward like a stranger had just come in. Their daddy, their family leader, the one who had read them Bible stories and taught them right from wrong, had suddenly changed into a person they didn't know. And I walked away leaving a gaping hole in our family. The visit was so uncomfortably awkward that I left that house, our family home, and I drove about a block and a half and I pulled over and I wept. Twenty-five years of marital history with four children, forever altered by a bad ending. A reputation for integrity and leadership ruined. I was a liar and I was a cheater now. I had moved out of a house where my parents had moved into so that we could care for my ailing mom who was battling dementia. And worst of all, I had brought dishonor to my savior's name and disillusioned countless family and friends and their faith. Everything that had anchored my life and given it purpose was in shambles. There's an old saying that goes, sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go and keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. And hiding my sin for three years cost me everything, everything. And so, our new marriage had begun to spiral down quickly. And as we began to take out our misery on each other, in desperation, we reached out to two Watermark staff members 
and met them at the church, and we sat in their office fighting and yelling at each other so much that one of them had to raise their voice and ask us to be quiet. And we sat there that day, and we told them that we'd made a terrible mistake, and we wanted out. But with great conviction, they told us that we had already blown up two marriages, leaving this trail of destruction, and blowing up a third one is just compounding the problem. And they told us with conviction that God, even though this marriage had begun under the veil of sin and deception, that God wanted to heal us and restore us to oneness with him in this marriage so that we could ultimately glorify himself through it. He could glorify himself through it. It was the first time that anyone in a position of spiritual leadership had said anything positive could possibly come out of such utter disaster. And so not long after that, I came to regeneration. And when I sat in a circle that first night and I shared what I had done, I was bringing my sin into the light for the first time in four years. I was shocked that there were other men in that circle whose stories were similar to mine, and all of a sudden, I didn't feel alone anymore. And as I walked back to my car that night, I felt a divine hug from God, and I didn't realize it at the time, but the truth of John 1-7 was being fulfilled. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And that divine hug that I felt was the return of the fellowship of God. The restoration of that fellowship. Of a loving God who had relentlessly pursued me and he left the 99 sheep to rescue us, to rescue me and Alicia from the rocks at the bottom of the cliff that we had jumped off of. So why am I sharing this story with you? Because it's a roadmap that can help you to avoid the darkness. Don't hide sin. Bring it out into the light because you don't know how fast it can go bad when you do. Here's the roadmap. You can take the path of blessings or you can go the path of great cost and you may get back to authenticity, but you might not. Why take the risk? As I began to walk in the light of authenticity again, the blessings of healing and mercy and a soft heart came rushing back in. And as I began to confess my sins and ask forgiveness and make amends to my ex-wife, her ex-husband, our children, the leadership of the church where it happened, and other friends, relationships began to heal. And because we were living in the light as a couple, our genuine love for each other could come to the surface. And today, that love is forged in steel from the self-inflicted fires of calamity that we walk through. I love you. I finished my recovery group and then I went through a second time to address more issues in my life. And then I led several groups because I saw how God was setting men free in the circles. And I wanted to be a part of that. 
And so when the Plano campus launched in 2015, I was a part of a small group of Regen veterans that came from Watermark to launch the ministry here, and I served in that ministry ever since we started. But then, last September, the God of Second Chances gave me a do-over in full-time ministry, and I became director of the very Regen ministry that God had used to bring me back into the fold. And here's the best part. When Alicia and I sat down to interview for this job, the man asking the questions was the same Watermark staff member who told us 13 years ago that God wants to redeem our mess and make it a message. You might know his name. He's the senior pastor here. His name's Kyle Kegler. My marriage of almost 14 years today is a testimony to the blessings of authenticity, and it took us a while to get there, but we got there. Let me give you a picture of a Thanksgiving table in our house just a few years ago. And seated at that table with me and my wife were all of our children, all of our grandchildren, my ex-wife, and her ex-husband, sharing a meal together and thanking God for his many blessings. And the people sitting around that table had shown all of us undeserved mercy and grace. It doesn't always turn out like that, I'm just gonna tell you. But you'll never know what God can do until you step out into the light of authenticity and let him work. So let me ask you a question today. What if we could take all of these, all of these hidden sins, all of these things that you've kept in the dark, and what if we could just bring those, just bring those to the cross, bring those out into the light, finally? What if we could just take the masks that we've been hiding and just, just bring them to the light? And finally, once and for all, stop hiding. Stop hiding and come out into the light and enjoy the fellowship of God. I can tell you that those sins that you thought you were gonna take to the grave, you don't have to take to the grave because Jesus died for every one of those and he took those to his grave. So you don't have to. City Bridge, freedom is in the light. And if you, if God is speaking to you this morning about something that you need to bring out into the light, let today be the day that everything turns back towards the light. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.